0: When Rabbi um, asked me if I would speak today uh, a few weeks ago, he said, "If you'd like to, you can continue on with the series. Uh, just keep going with it." I was like, "Man, that's some big shoes to fill." And Dave said this morning when I came in, he said, "You teach today?" I said, like, "Yeah." He said, "You got some big shoes to fill." I said, "Yes, I do." Uh, but today we're going to continue on with the uh, the theme in the beginning. And Rob has been uh, sharing a really, really good series, taking us back to the basics and telling us the things that are really, really important that we can pull out of the Scriptures and what can apply to us and how we need to see things within the Scriptures. And uh, been making uh, some very uh, important points that have been very impactful. And so uh, hopefully I can continue somewhat with that today in this uh, message called Children of Abraham. And so, as we know, Abraham is often called within Judaism, Avraham Avinu. Everybody heard that term, Avraham Avinu. Okay, this means our father Abraham. Now, if you're like me and grew up in the church, automatically a song comes to mind. We were in tour club last week and we all started singing it, uh, Father Abraham. And then he's, you know, just kept going on and on. And uh, the song that never ends. (laughs) Um, but this is, this is a true statement, right? So Paul, in Romans 4, Paul tells us that Abraham is the father of all who believe. This is Romans uh, chapter 4, verse 11. And so Paul tells us that Abraham is somehow our father. Even though we aren't born Jewish, many of us who are from the nations, Abraham is somehow our father to all who believe in Messiah Yeshua. He also tells us in Galatians 3, verse 7, he said, "...those of faith are the sons of Abraham." So he tells it both sides. Abraham is their father, and you're his sons, right? <clears throat> so both ways. But really what I want to talk about, the theme of this, it, of course we called it children of Abraham, but what does it mean to be Abraham's children? What does it mean to be Abraham's child, his son, or his daughter, <clears throat> Right? So last week, Rabbi Damien said a statement that really struck a chord with me. He said towards the end of his message, he said, fathers are, are people who look out for their their posterity. And fathers create a better world for those coming behind them. So this is sort of the, the uh, picture of what a father is. And so... Um, Before we go into um, what does it mean to be a child, I want to explore the the topic of what it means to be a father. So the father, according to what he said last week, again, is they look out for their posterity and they create a better world for those coming behind them. They're not just the biological beginning of a life. Right. They're more than that. A true father. So it also means that fathers should pass on something of themselves to their children including things like their character, their mission, their knowledge, their relationship with God, and so forth. But that's a difficult task. It's a tall task. And so, with this in mind, we need to work towards what it means to be a child of Abraham, because Abraham should be passing those things down to us. Okay, so that's where I'm sort of framing this. So let's now take a look at Abraham and his relationship with his son, Isaac, and we're going to look at some of this through a Jewish lens in some of the Jewish literature that's out that's out there. So <clears throat> the Midrash, anybody ever heard of the Midrash? So if you haven't heard of the Midrash, it's sort of like um, it's sort of like exegesis on Scripture and sort of like additional um, stories that go along to help you. Um, better understand uh, the truths and the different things. Now, not everything that happens in the midrash is to be taken literal, but it is to be taken as an expression of truth and how we we understand the scriptures. Okay, and so the um, there's different parts in the midrash, um, but one of the things that it talks about is that Abraham had not only this test of his son, Isaac of, of offering him up, but he had 10 different trials. There was 10 different trials that Abraham went through that led up to this one event. Okay. And so this was sort of the testing of Abraham's face. It it, it became um, one trial, two trial, three And by the time he's probably like, you know, five trials in, he's like, why me God? I mean, that's our response, right? And so um, he had 10 trials culminating with this ultimate test of let's, have you lay down the life of your son, the son that I have promised you, the son that I have gone through all this trouble to renew Sarah's womb, give to you. And now I'm going to require it back of you. So Abraham has to deal with this test. But Abraham had the character that was different from most people. Abraham had a character um, in and of himself that um, made him who he was. We know him as the father of faith, right? But he had different character traits. Uh, Pirkei Avot talks about him in this way. It says, all who possess three qualities belong to the disciples of Abraham our father. A generous eye, a humble spirit, and a meek soul. But he who possesses the three opposite qualities, an evil eye, a proud spirit, and a haughty soul, is of the disciples of Balaam. The wicked. OK, so <clears throat> what does it mean to have a generous eye? A generous eye is a, a biblical idiom. Yeshua actually uses it. Matthew chapter six. Um, and a, a, a generous eye is somebody that's generous. OK, that's what it means. It means if you have if you're a, 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 a um a generous eye, or a um, excuse me, a good eye, is what the literal phrase says. It says an eye in Tov. Then it means you're someone who's generous. It just means you're generous. So if you have a, a wicked eye, or if you have a stingy eye, or whatever, then you're uh, one who is stingy in those things. And the eye is um, really what we, in, in a sense, we would say a heart in our culture, right? We would say like you have a stingy heart or a generous heart or something like that. Well. Um, in, in Hebrew culture, it's a little different. So the three qualities are he is generous, he is humble, and he is meek. So that's the beginning of Abraham that we need to understand. And so... Pardon me. me get my notes in order here. The, the next thing that Perique Votes talks about of Abraham... Is through these trials, these trials were not to destroy Abraham, but it was to show how great the love of Abraham was. Okay, think about this. You offer up your child, the child that you love. What's greater than that love? I mean, you think about um, where Blake and Greta, Blake and Greta just got their baby. So did uh, the Wagners, right? You got this baby. Give it up. No. (laughs) Absolutely not. You know, because I love this child. I mean, this child is just I've got, you know, we're wrapped around this child. But what greater love would be to love someone enough to give that up? Thankfully, God uh, didn't have him go through with that. But it was, of course, a test of his love. And so when we go through tests in our lives, like Abraham went through tests in our life, in his life, Um, There are really a couple ways we generally look at it. One, we say, okay, this is to prove uh, ourselves to God. So God wants to see if I can go through this or not, right? So, but the problem with that is God already knows whether we can or we can't, right? So he's God. The other way is um, for God to prove his faithfulness to us. It's saying, okay, we're going through this because God is going to show himself faithful, And this is probably a better perspective on that. But another perspective that maybe you haven't thought about is so that others can see how we handle our tests. Okay? This is how we can either sanctify or desecrate God's name. Okay? So when we go through a test, let's just take um, a test of something that happens in our family. Um you um, are at home, all your wife and your kids are around and you get a phone call and you just found out that you got fired or whatever. You know, yeah. So God forbid. So um, you find out that you just lost your job. How do you respond? You smash the phone. You know, throw it down, smash it, stomp on it, and start you know cursing and all that kind of stuff, and beat your wife, and (laughs) you know (laughs) yank yank the kids around the house and stuff like that. Okay, it's a test, and believe it or not, your your wife and your children are watching you. And so, when we go through these tests, we have an opportunity to show the proper response to these events in our lives, and to say. Is God really in control? Because when we act as if God is not in control, everybody knows our, there's, a, there's, a, there's a divide, a division between what we say and what we truly believe. Right? I, I'm sure we all struggle that with that on some level. Um, I want to open us up real quick and read this first passage. You know, this week's uh, tour portion is Vieira. There's a lot of stuff that goes on, but this uh, event that we've been talking about is the the Akedah, the binding of Isaac. And this is the test, the ultimate test of Abraham. And it opens up like this. It says, And it happened after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he replied, Here I am. And he said, Please take your son, your only one, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Maria. Bring him up there as an offering upon one of the mountains, which I shall show you. So Abraham woke up early in the morning and he saddled his donkey. He took two young men with him and Isaac, his son. He split the wood for the offering and stood up and went to the place of which God had spoken to him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and perceived the place from afar. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here by yourselves with the donkey while I and the lad will go yonder. We will worship and we will return to you. Verse 6. And this is what I want to draw your attention to. And Abraham took the wood for the offering and placed it on Isaac, his son. He took his, in his hand the fire and the knife, and the two of them went together. Okay. Doesn't sound like anything special, big deal. But the Hebrew behind this is va'yalechuneh yachdav, shnehem yachdav. It literally means and they went the two of them together. Okay? So I want to focus in on this word yachdav. Yachdav is together. You may have heard words that are similar to this. Um First of all, we've all heard of this uh, prayer called the Shema, right? Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad, right? Echad. So the hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is what? One. One. Okay, this is the sort of the root. Yachad is, is related to this word. And we also heard this uh, song that comes from Psalm 133. It says, Hine tov umanaim shevet achim gam yachad. Okay, this is Psalm 133. It says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to what? Dwell in unity. Dwell in unity. All right, dwell together in unity. And so this is the word yachad. This is unity. So you, you, you may be picking up where I'm headed here. For those of you who um, attend the uh, Torah service, you may recognize the phrase that we sing um, at the beginning of the Torah, Torah service. God It says, this is from Psalm 34, 4, which means, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Okay, so we are, we are, Together in purpose. We are blessing God. We are magnifying God. We are praising God with one voice. Okay, this is sort of the picture here. And so this expression we hear in um, the passage that we just read, Vayahu shnehem yachdav. Again, it literally means "And they went, the two of them together. And the, the Midrash says one to slaughter, and one to be slaughtered. Okay? And so why they ask, why is this phrase used? We could have simply just said Vayahu and they and they went. Why do we have to have the phrase, and they went, the two of them together? It says, because they not only traveled together, but they went with the same purpose, united in purpose. Okay? The thing about it is, Abraham knew what was going to happen. Isaac only knew what his father had told him. They both knew they were going up to the mountain. They're going to present an offering to the Lord. So they were unified in the purpose. Isaac, of course, was left a little in the dark at the beginning. Rashi says that both Abraham, who was aware that he was going to slaughter his son, and Isaac, who was unaware of the situation, They both came with eagerness and joy. Now, this is before there's any kind of indication to Isaac of what's going on. So before we go on to the second part of that, we can learn two things from this situation. Number one, whatever mitzvah we have to do, regardless of the difficulty, let's do it with Zerizot, which is alacrity, and let's do it with joy. Okay. So Abraham and Isaac, Abraham, think about this. You need to sacrifice your son. Abraham does what? He gets up early in the morning. Woo, I would be waiting. (laughs) I'd be stalling, right? Most people, if you're like me, you'd be stalling. Uh, But Abraham, no, he's like, I got to do this immediately. And so he gets up early in the morning and then he goes and he does it with joy. So the first thing we need to do, whatever mitzvah we have to do, whatever... um, Whatever thing for the Lord that we have to do, whether it's commandment or a good deed or or helping someone or whatever it is, uh, we need to do with eagerness and with joy. Number two, parents need to develop a relationship with their children built on complete trust. Okay, honest time, honesty time here. How many of you guys, if you told your child, Okay, we're going to go do this, and I'm going to offer you up on an altar. I mean, of course, he hasn't done it yet. Your child would go, okay, sure, pop. <laughs> right? Okay. But Isaac, he didn't know what was going on. And then we'll find out here in just a little bit exactly when he did find out what was going on, if he, if he had the same faith. But parents should be uh, need to develop a relationship with their children built on complete trust. Because a child at no matter what age, should be able to trust his or her parent. Okay, We should be trustworthy. And so we're going to continue on with this passage and see what happens. Verse 7 says, Then Isaac spoke to Abraham and said, Father, and he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, here are the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the offering? So Isaac is going along, you know, bebopping along. They're going up the mountain and everything. And then he realizes, you know, hey, we have everything that we need except for the lamb. And we're going up this mountain and we didn't bring a lamb with us. There's a problem here. So, hey, dad, what's going on here? So he, he has a clue of what's going on. And so he asked his father, hey, where is the lamb? Verse 8, Abraham said, God will seek out for himself the lamb for the offering, my son. Okay? God will seek out for himself a lamb for the offering, my son. So Isaac's like, hmm, okay, maybe there's going to be a lamb on top of this mountain. I think at that moment, though, it probably the reality of the situation sunk in. Um, there's a lot of commentary that talks about this as well. This is the point where Isaac truly understood what was going on. And the most incredible part about this passage is the end of this verse. Guess what it says? It says, And they went, the two of them, together. Now, Isaac... A lot of people, a lot of depictions say, you know, show Isaac as this little kid or whatever. But Isaac was in his mid-30s when this happened, if you do the math. Okay? So Isaac was a grown man. A grown man could have just said, Dad, this is ridiculous. I'm out of here. Right? But, but Isaac, he trusted his father. And his father had instilled in him enough of a relationship with his God that he could also trust in his God. This is a powerful, powerful picture. And so, with this, Isaac has to make a decision. Do I continue on or do I hold back? Do I say, Father, you're crazy? Or do I trust him? And as we see, it says, Yahu Shanehem Yachdav. Yahu Shanehem Yachdav. You guys say that with me Yahu Shanehem Yachdav. That's that's an important phrase that we're learning today. And the two of them, they went together. Okay? Now, you hear the phrase often, uh, children of Noah, children of Abraham, children of Israel. Uh, And this is all the time. You know, throughout the scriptures, throughout the Torah especially, the children of Israel did this, children of Israel did that, children of Israel did that. There's a song that uh, cracks me up. It's by uh, Steve Taylor back in the 90s. And at the beginning, it says, and the children of Israel, and then in in sort of a lower tone, it says, and most of the adults. So, (laughs) (laughs) uh, but we, you know, we use that expression um, because they are the children. They are the children of of Israel. Uh, But you know what? We we need to see them as adults as well. Um, Sooner or later, children need to become adults and hopefully fathers and mothers. And once you enter parenthood, for those around us who have become parents, your life is never the same, (laughs) for good or the bad. (laughs) It should be, however, for the good, Uh, because becoming a parent is a blessing and a fulfillment of the very first commandment of Peru Uvru be fruitful and multiply. And these kids are wonderful. Look at this. I mean, we've got Harrison up here on the front row, just a little, little sweet thing, you know. Uh, we got others in here, and just amazing. You just want to, like, eat them up, Um, snuggle them up, and and just cozy with them, kiss them all over and everything. But at some point in time, uh, it's time for those children to move out of their parents' basement. (laughs) It's time for them to get married. (laughs) Start a family of their own, right? It's time to give them the uh, the old boot. So say, kick them out of the nest. It's time for them to shed the identity of being a child. And that's a hard identity to shed. Because a lot of us, I know, uh, me included, it took me a long time, many years after I left my parents' home, for me to, to, on the inside, say, I'm an adult. Okay? I mean, even now, you know, I'm 51 years old. And there are times like, you know, how do I adult? <laughs> right. And uh, I think we all have that, that issue sometimes. Um, we will always be, ch- be children of our parents. It doesn't mean that we're not going to be our parents' children. But we don't have to act like children. We should be raising children of our own and teaching them the ways of the Lord. And uh, this is a metaphor, so to speak, of what we see in the scriptures. What I'm, The point I'm trying to convey right here is that we need to be children of Abraham, but we don't need to act like children. We need to be adult grown children, spiritually speaking, of Abraham. Um, I've got a friend that many of you guys have met. His name is Jim. He's a full-time missionary in Asia. You guys met Jim? Okay. Uh, he came and did a, an update um, a few months back before they had to leave back uh, to Asia. And so his job is to let people know that they can have a relationship with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob through Yeshua. This is his his full-time gig. He goes and he spends, I don't even know how many hours a day. He, this guy is like, go, 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 right? And he's, he's up and and uh, you never know when he's going to bed. And he, he is on 100% octane you know, all day long and just leading people, um, whatever it takes. And, and, this, and this includes not just the um, work of just telling people about Yeshua, but it, it is helping people in their needs and meeting basic human needs of these people that are out in the bushes and all that kind of stuff. Um, and when he leads people to the Lord, they are a newborn infant, okay? So he, he, he basically acts... As someone who is giving birth to a new life. And so you think about Harrison right here. Um, Is he able to just take care of himself? No, (laughs) no. Mom has a lot to do with that. Okay, at this point and dad. And so, um, you know, when you're an infant, you cannot take care of yourself. You cannot meet your own needs. And so what happens a lot of time with missionary work and things like this is these people run in, they give them this message, have them make the commitment or whatever, and then they leave. Then they run. And then these people are left to fend for themselves. And so uh, I'm proud to say that this is not what my friend Jim does. Um, he, when he leads a person to the Lord, he then goes the next step and begins discipling them. Okay. Because you don't want, I mean, like they say, you know, feed a man a fish and he'll eat for a day. Teach a man to fish and you'll never see him again, right? No, that's not the way it goes. <laughs> Teach a man to fish and he, he'll he eat for the rest of his life, okay? This is the way it should be in spiritual discipleship as well. And there's actually a um, a parallel that we see when we, we uh, read the portion in the book of Numbers uh, when... Uh, when Aaron is lighting the candles, the wording is such that the the commentators say that he, why is it written this way? Because he has to hold the flame to the wick of the candle until it is able to burn on its own accord okay Baha'alotcha. to to raise up the flame or whatever and so uh, and they say this is discipleship as well. when you disciple someone else, you don 't just give them information you be with them, help them, so they, till the point that they can have the flame within them rise up on its own and they can be self-sufficient, okay? And this is what Jim does. Um, And so, Jim is a, not just a soul winner, but he is a disciple maker. And I think this is the difference a lot of times when we um, try to, um, share our faith and things like this. We, we stop short and leave people there to flounder. I've said a lot of this about, about this in my book, about being responsible, the four responsibilities of a disciple, being uh, one who is a disciple and what it means to make other disciples. But my point is it's time that we turn our sort of focus... We, You know, this congregation, Shalom Macon, is an amazing oasis, right? Uh, we have people f- literally from all over the world um, connecting with Shalom Macon. I mean, they watch us online. Hey, guys, you guys are watching me right now. So if you want to say hi in the chat, you know, say hi. Uh, but thank you guys for, for tuning in. But uh, it's not just that. We have community all over the world, right? We have a Shalom at Home network and, and different things. And people, uh, we had this maker's market during Sukkot. And people were connecting with that. People, we shipped goods all the way over to England and, and Wales and things like that. And we have pictures of people being excited. Uh, we have people all over the United States uh, coming to Making for events and being taught and all that kind of stuff and building community. And it's more than just knowledge. It's about this relationship, relationship with God, of course, and then relationship with one another. And that's really what discipleship is about. And so my, my point in all that is it's, it's time for Shalom making. We do a lot of uh, connecting and things like this. We do a lot of receiving. We do a lot of, of this. But we not only to be filled with the teachings and leadership that we have attached ourselves to, but we're also to be pouring out what we learn to others. Okay? And so I think that's a responsibility of all of us. It's not just up to Rabbi. It's not just up to me or, or, or Lance or whoever. You know, It's not just up to, up to us to be pouring in to other people. We all have opportunities to pour into other people because as children of Abraham, Abraham is pouring into everybody he meets. And we should be pouring in to everybody we meet. And so you may be objecting saying, say, well, I don't know how to... And then fill in the blank. You know, there, there's a, a million different answers. And the answer is, the answer I gave to my friend Jim is uh, one that I heard um, from the Lubavitcher Rebbe. It says, when you know Aleph and Bait, the first two letters of the Hebrew, Aleph, Bait. <clears throat> when you know Aleph and Bait and someone else only knows Aleph, you are obligated to teach them Bait. Mm. Okay? If you know A and B and another person only knows A, You're obligated to teach them B. And then you can learn C and then teach them C and so forth, right? You teach people, you pour into people what you do know, not what you don't know. You have to search for what you don't know. And then you have to model what you do know about your relationship with God so that they can see that being modeled. And like I said, the tests earlier that we talked about, how do we go through tests and so forth? And be an example to them, and so uh, it's, it's interesting because Jim is a go-getter. I mean, Jim is like, man, I'm, I've got Olive. I've been teaching Olive, and now I need bait. Help me with bait, you know. And uh, so we're working on those aspects. You know, he's been a missionary for most of his life, and but he is, you know, this the whole messianic journey is only in the last few years, and so he is just anxious and he wants to learn, and so. With that, be like this. Give what you have and learn more so that you can give more. Um, if uh, If you can give what you have and be faithful in those things, God will reward you in giving you more, right? To be able to contain more. Say, my vessel can only hold this much. But guess what? We just read about... Um, Elijah in the Hoftar it wasn't this particular story, but I think we read about this last week, maybe, or anyway, it was recently—is that when uh, the the woman and her son. They didn't have anything. Right. And he said, he said, bring out all your vessels and they poured the oil into the vessels and they just kept pouring and pouring and pouring and pouring out of the one vessel into all these other vessels. God can multiply that. He can expand that. And if you're a new wine skin, as Yeshua talks about, he can expand us to hold that wine and let it change and let it develop and let it ferment with inside us so that it can be a beautiful, beautiful thing for others. In Genesis 11, we, t- we um, learned about this uh, Abraham's father. Now, Abraham's father is normally talked about as an idolater. His name is Terach. But one of the things that was interesting to me is that in Genesis 11, Abraham uh, and his father and his family, Terach actually started heading down from Ur to Canaan. It's almost like... Terach got called to Canaan like Abraham got called to Canaan. But Terach, Terach something happened to him. He stopped because so they stopped in Haran. This is the name of Abraham's brother who had died in the presence of Terach back in Ur. And they happened to stop in this town. And he set up shop in there. I mean, he, he, he decided he was going to camp out there and not move on in this town called Haran. So what happened there? My theory is that he couldn't get past the grief of his son. So he just said, I can't make this journey. I can't do it any further, even though possibly it's not in scriptures, nowhere to be found. But even though God may have put the bug in his ear before he put the bug in in Abraham's ear to go down here and start something for me. Tarek said, I can't. But Abraham, he filled the shoes of his father when his father couldn't. And I think this is what's happening today that needs to happen today, I should say is that we, our young people, our young adults, need to be thinking about how they can fill the shoes of their fathers, their spiritual fathers, their physical fathers, Um, those of us who are leaders, mentors, and teachers. We need young adults to step into the role of leadership. We need you, young adults. I'm talking to everybody in the room, young adults, people online. We need you to reach your generation and the generations that will follow There were tons of people God could have called in Abraham's generation. But why was Abraham chosen? Because he was the only one listening. I think that's the big difference. It doesn't mean you have to be, you know, have this light come down and and say you are the chosen one or whatever. You just have to be listening because God is calling all of us. And who is listening in your generation, young people? Who is listening in your generation. Are you listening? So our mission is to embrace not only the identity, our identity as children of Abraham, but also our purpose. Like the world in the days of Abraham, our world is filled with idol worshipers. But our idol worshipers today don't set up images of gold, silver, bronze, copper, and wood, right? Our generation bows down to themselves and worships pleasure and entertainment. And so someone has to tell them there's a God out there that loves them and wants to walk with them like God walked with Abraham. And it's going to take a bold generation to do that. So I'm going to leave you with this. Can we be like Isaac when he went to his father, knowing that he was laying down his life? Vayechul shenehem yachtav. They went together as one in purpose with complete trust. One trusting his father Abraham, which was Isaac, and the other Abraham himself trusting his heavenly father. Yet they were both at the same time trusting their father, right? Can we do the same? Despite the heartaches and the pitfalls of life, despite the pain, the loss, and the grief, despite the financial pressures and the uncertainty of life with around us? Can we trust our Heavenly Father and walk with Him to our destiny with eagerness and joy? Because this is what it it means to be children of Abraham and disciples of Yeshua. So I want to challenge you to step up to the calling to be a son or a daughter of Abraham. Shabbat Shalom.